Did you know that muksa is contagious? In this day and age, we are extra sensitive to things being contagious, as well we should be. And so it's very appropriate that we match our concern for physical contagion with a concern and understanding of the spiritual contagion contained in the laws of muksa. I'm referring to the concept of this week's class, which is basis lemuksa. Basis sounds like the English word base, and it has a basically the same meaning. It means a base for a muksa item, meaning in certain circumstances, when a muksa item is rest upon, resting upon something totally permissible, it can infect that item with muksa. It can share its muksa properties with the item that is supporting it. Let's take the following scenario. You by now are all familiar with Joe Northerner. He's a character from our third Shabbos Learning Project quiz this year. He's known for his winter ice cream habits. If you don't know what I'm referring to, check out the third quiz. Anyway, Joe, one Shabbos afternoon, goes to get his trademark ice cream from his freezer and he finds that there's a bit of, a few pieces of raw frozen fish on top of his favorite ice cream tub. If the conditions are right, his ice cream might as well be raw fish. Just like the raw fish is muksa on Shabbos, so too the tub of ice cream that it is resting upon is also muksa. And our dear friend Joe is stuck without his ice cream. And it's not just that it's blocked by the fish so you can't access the ice cream. No, it's more than that. It infects the ice cream with its fishy qualities. Meaning, even if the fish would be taken off somehow by accident or, or fall off, the ice cream, even though the fish is no longer resting upon it, still has the muksa status of frozen fish. And that's because at the start of Shabbos, the ice cream was a basis. It was a base, a support for the muksa item which was resting on top of it. Let's take another example. If you place money on a table with the intention of the money staying there for Shabbos, then the table takes on the same status as the money and you can't move the table if you need to move it to get to something. The way that the buses works, the way that the muksa creates a buses, I'm going to use that term in this class, make a buses means that it turns, the muksa item turns the permissible item into muksa by resting upon it. The way it makes it into muksa is that it infects the um, permissible item with its own status. So if a person left a hammer on a stender, let's say, a learning lector, and he left a hander, hammer on his, on his stender, because that's where he wanted to keep it over Shabbos. And then if the hammer was removed, shaken off somehow, the stender would be like a big hammer in the sense that it's muksa. But what level of muksa? We've spent the past few weeks learning that there are various levels and degrees of stringency in, within those levels of muksa. So a hammer is the category of 
It's an it's a vessel of uh, prohibited use, which has permissible use. You can take a hammer, as we know, to use it to crack nuts or, or something, or to use the place that it's resting upon. So the same thing would be true of that stender or that table that you left the hander on. You could move the table if you needed the spot that was underneath the table, or you needed to move the table elsewhere. So the way a busis works is that it infects, the muksa infects the busis with its status. Now, as I mentioned above when I was talking about the Joe Northerner ice cream case, I had mentioned that it can, the fish will make a busis out of the ice cream if the conditions are right. What do I mean by if the conditions are right? The most important principle when it comes to a busis, number one, is that in order for a busis to be created, it has to be created intentionally. A person has to place the hammer down or the fish down on top of the ice cream because that's where he wants it to be over Shabbos. If it just happened to be there or a person forgot it there, it does not create a busis. So I use the term infection, but it's not really the same thing. Whereas when it comes to an infection of a disease, Rahman al God forbid, or even infectious laughter in the positive sense, the infection happens involuntarily. When it comes to creating a busis, a busis is only created. Muksa can only infect the item that it's resting upon if it's done so intentionally. However, defining what's called intention and whose intention and how far it reaches is a, a complex aspect and one of the more fascinating aspects of the halacha of busis. So intention means intention for the item to be there for Shabbos. If something was placed down sometime during the week and happens to be there on Shabbos, that doesn't count. If you went food shopping, went grocery shopping, came home, placed some raw fish on top of your ice cream because that's uh, where you wanted to put it on Monday, that doesn't mean that was your intention for Shabbos. And that would not make a busis because you had no intention to leave the fish there uh, until Shabbos. Shabbos wasn't on your mind. So that's pretty strong. If you did not intend to leave it there, just forgot it there, then it does not create a busis. One exception to this is if the item is in its usual spot. For example, a wallet, which is normally used to contain money, is a busis. The money makes it into a busis. It infects the wallet with muksa status, even though the money wasn't intentionally placed there to be there for Shabbos. And that's because that is the usual place, that's the normal place for this muksa item, the money to be contained. That does, therefore, it doesn't require a person's active intention. It's considered as if uh, it was intentionally placed there for Shabbos. Another exception to the rule in the lenient sense, we said that if you intentionally place something down, place a muksa item down, it turns whatever is underneath into muksa. But if the item on top is designed to serve the item below, then it won't create a busis. It won't overpower the item below. The muksa on top won't overpower the permissible item below because it's designed to serve the item below. Classic example of this is a rock that is used as a paperweight for papers outside. Over the course of this corona period, we have had the benefit of hosting 
some socially distant classes outside of our home. And, um, and part of that involved having source sheets outside for people to come and take. So in order to make sure the source sheets don't blow away, um, place a, we could place a rock down on top of the source sheets, even from before Shabbos, and then the uh, rock won't create a buses out of the source sheets because the rock is there to serve the papers to make sure they don't fly away. Now, what if a person placed something down on something else on purpose but by accident? What does that mean? It means you wanted it there in the general vicinity, but not exactly on that item. For example, let's say you have a tablet sitting around, an iPad, and uh, your kids are coming in and, and you want to put it high up somewhere so that they don't get a hold of it, uh, so your toddlers don't break it or something, and you take the tablet and you just quickly put it on top of uh, a linen closet, on top of some towels, because that's what's convenient and high up. Or um, you have an item and you just throw it into the junk drawer uh, without thinking, that's where you want it to be, but you forgot that you placed a novel that you wanted to read on Shabbos in that junk drawer. So you put uh, your screwdriver down on top of that novel. So in those cases, you intended it to be where you placed it, but not exactly upon the item that you placed it on. What's the halacha there? Is the towel that the tablet is resting on, is that muksa? Is the novel that the screwdriver is resting on, is that now muksa? Does that become infected with bus's status? The Mishra brings a machlokas about this, a dispute. The Taz is machmer, he's stringent. He says, because that's not called forgetting an item there. The person knew where the item was, and therefore it will create a basis. But the Magen Avram holds that it's more similar to forgetting because the exact placement of the item was unintentional. The Mishra rules, in this case, that in cases of need, one can be lenient. That means that if you need that towel, that the tablet is resting upon, you can be lenient to, uh, to not treat the towel as moksa. And in this particular case, you would be allowed to slide the towel out from underneath the tablet. Another important part of defining intention is that the intention to leave the item there must be from before Shabbos. If a person picks up moksa on Shabbos by accident and places it down in a drawer or on a table or something, on Shabbos, that will not create a busis. A busis can only be created from before Shabbos with intention for an item to be there on Shabbos. Now, can somebody else render your object muksa? Can he infect your item with muksa status? In this week's quiz, this is a little foreshadow for those who are going to be taking the quiz, you'll have a leg up. One of the questions, without revealing the whole thing, is about Person A wanting to make person's B item muksa. They're in a competition. Person A wants to get ahead by rendering item person B's item muksa by placing something on top of it. Will that work? So the answer is no. You don't have the right to make somebody else's item muksa unless it's with their permission or you know they would want it there. Here's a great practical example of this. Um, the same thing applies, the post can say, in a public area. So let's say it's Friday night and you walk into shul, you have your keys in your pocket, and right before you start Kabbalah Shabbos, you realize, so you gingerly place them down into the seat pocket in front of you, into the back of the seat in front of you. So now, you've placed a muksa item into that seat, 
And one might think that you therefore created a buses out of that seat and you gave it uh, a muxa status the same as the keys. Now, if the next day somebody comes in and wants to shift the chair over so that it's facing the right direction, is that chair now a buses? Is it now a base, a muxa base for him and he can't move it? The answer is no. You don't have the right to make the shul chairs into a buses ledavar hamuksa into a muksa base, because it's not your property. Now let me make an important general statement here. Even in a case where muksa is resting on a non-muksa item, and in the case where it does not become a buses because there was no intention, or because it's somebody else's item, uh, or because it's, it was in the middle of Shabbos that it got left there. So let's take the keys sitting in the back pocket of that chair. Even though the chair is not a busis and the chair is not muksa, but if possible, a person is supposed to remove the muksa item before moving the, the thing underneath. So if possible, you would have to shift the chair so that the keys would fall off. You can't touch the keys because they're muksa. can't move them because they're muksa. But you would shift the chair so that the keys would fall out and then you can move the chair freely because it was not made into a busis. In this particular case, you probably can't do that. They're not your keys. You don't, want to, you don't want them to get lost. You don't know where to put them. In which case, if you're not able to remove the muksa item, then you could just leave it and move the, uh, the permissible item underneath. The same thing would be true if the muksa item is going to get lost or damaged or if, you know, let's say the muksa is a stone and if by tilting the stone onto the floor you're going to damage the floor, in those cases, you don't have to remove the muksa item from the picture. Again, this is all referring to a case where you have not created a busis. So you're allowed to move the thing underneath. You just have to get rid of the muksa on top. Now, let's take a very common scenario. of We've dealt with, until now, a um, very basic situation where you have one muksa item resting on top of something else. We have the screwdriver in the drawer. We have the wallet on the table the keys on the chair. But in many cases, it's not so simple. Often you'll have an assortment of item, uh, items on a table, in a drawer. So what happens then? So you have your screwdriver in your drawer along with several other things that are not muksa. Or in your silverware drawer, you also have some matches. So the matches would lead us to believe that the drawer is now muksa but the silverware is not muksa. So what's the status of the drawer? Does it take on the properties of the silverware or does it take on the property of the matches? So the answer is, it depends which items one considers more important. If the muksa items are more important, then the drawer status follows the muksa items. If the non-muksa items are more important, then the drawer's status follow the non-muksa items. Now, how do we define important? So one handy way of defining important is if, the, if you have both items and you were forced to choose between one or the other, which one would you choose? For example, let's say on your nightstand that you wanted to move over, you had uh, some money and you had your glasses. So now, does the nightstand become money status, money muxa status, and you can't move it? Or does it become the status of your glasses, in which case everything is permissible to move, meaning the, drawer, the night table is permissible to move? So the answer is, what's more valuable to you? 
if you had to pick, if you had to choose between the money or the glasses, which one would you choose? That would define the status of the table. Another very common and very important way of defining what's more important is that if there's an item that you need for Shabbos use, that gives it importance. For example, if you had on a table, you had money and you had challah, even if you had a lot of money, but since the challah is precious to you because you need it for Shabbos, then the table takes on the challah's status and not the money status, and it's totally permissible. The classic example of this in halachic literature is Shabbos candlesticks on a table. Shabbos candlesticks are muksa. They will create a busis, a base out of the table and the tablecloth. So what is commonly recommended is if you put challah down on the table as Shabbos is coming in, because that's when the busis status is defined. So if you place challah down on the table, so now the table is, is a busis, it's a, it's a base of two items, the candlesticks, which are, which are muksa, and the challah, which is permissible. Since the challah is necessary for Shabbos use, you have saved the table and the tablecloth, and now they retain their permissible status, they don't become a impermissible busis. Another common scenario is if you have the candlesticks on the table and you want to move the candlesticks themselves. And very often the candlesticks are sitting on top of a tray. That tray is a busis. It's infected by the candlestick status and that tray is namuksa. So what can you do? So the post can recommend put something else down on that candlestick tray that's valuable to you. Put the challah down. Place a gold watch on the tray. Some say you could even place a sitter down or a fancy um, hadlakas neros brachos tablet uh, on the tray. That would make it non-muksa. Then you have a very valuable item, something that you use for Shabbos or something that's valuable to you, on the tray, and that will prevent the tray from becoming um, a busis. Note that in this particular case, according to Ramosha Feinstein, if the tray is designed for the candles, then you no longer have the ability to uh, redesignate it, repurpose it for something else. What we're referring to in this case is a candles, a tray is a, a silver tray that happens to be used that you happen to use for candlesticks. It wasn't designed for it. Since you use it for candlesticks, you can also alter its status by placing a watch on it or something. But if it's designed specifically for the candlesticks, then this option won't help. Here is a great and very common application of this rule. So we have an issue. Um, I get several calls about this nearly every Erev Yomtev. Yomtev often falls out on garbage day, somewhere in the neighborhood. And garbage is muksa. So we want to make sure to roll the garbage to the curb uh, before Yantif, so we don't get into problems of moving the garbage on Yantif. But now that the garbage is at the curb in, in the street, after it's been picked up, what do you do with the garbage can? Can you roll it back onto your property? So based upon what we've learned today, you can see that that would be problematic. Since there was garbage inside the garbage can uh, as Yantif was setting in, and garbage is muksa, so then the garbage can becomes a busis for that muksa. The garbage can is now muksa itself. So even if you wheeled it to the curb from before Yantif, 
and it was picked up, and there's no garbage inside, it doesn't matter. The garbage still is considered to be a busis, a muksa base, because it had garbage in it as Yontif was setting in. So how do you move your garbage back to the curb? I've had this issue for many years, and I haven't had a good solution, and I had to leave my garbage at the curb uh, on Yontif, sometimes for two days or three days. And I realized that for my neighbors who don't understand this, uh, that might be unpleasant. Why, why am I littering the street, leaving my garbage there for three days? So I've heard of a great etza, a great trick, um, a permissible halachic trick that you'll see, based upon what we've learned, works very well. Um, and that is, if you, before Yontif, um, place a, a bottle of soda, small bottle, 20-ounce bottle, anything, a small bottle of soda into your garbage before Yontif, so now the garbage can serves as a buses, as a base for a permissible items and impermissible items for the garbage inside and for the soda bottle. Which one is more important? Well, obviously the garbage is a load of garbage. So what's important is the soda bottle. So now you've created a scenario where the garbage is no longer a buses. It's no longer a muksa base. The garbage can is no longer a muksa base for the garbage because it also contains a soda bottle. So now you are free to move the, move the garbage even after the garbage has been emptied on Yantif Day. So that's a great trick, and it utilizes um, all that we've learned today in Hilchas Muksa. Let me throw in one more extra credit item to this year, because it's a common scenario, and it does involve the halachas of buses. By the way, if you followed until now, kol hakavod, good for you. Uh, this topic of buses is one of the most complex areas of Hilchos Muksa. So I think we've accomplished a lot. But let me throw in one more extra credit item uh, because it's very common. There, uh, often you can put on a suit jacket and uh, in it you find keys or something like that or some Muksa item. So now the, um, if it was left there intentionally from before Shabbos, they had keys, that you left in your jacket pocket, and you didn't think you are going to have to wear your jacket on Shabbos. Now it's cold, you have to put on your jacket, what can you do? The first step is to get rid of the keys, if possible. Um, if you're in a safe place, and the keys aren't going to get stolen, it's, if you're in your own home, certainly, so you should turn the pocket inside out. You can't touch the keys or the inside of the pocket itself, because that's all muksa. You turn the pocket inside out, and you let it fall into a drawer or on a countertop or on the floor, move it over to the side with your foot, uh, someplace that's safe. So now you've gotten rid of the keys. But now, since the keys were intentionally put in that pocket from before Shabbos, now that pocket is a buses. So that's um, the halach with regards to the pocket. What about the entire jacket? Is now the entire jacket considered to be a buses? Does the entire jacket get infected with key status and now you can't wear it? What's the halacha? So the Mishaburah says it depends what type of pocket we're dealing with. The way I would term it, it depends if we're dealing with a shirt pocket or a pants pocket. Shirt pockets, a breast pocket, um, is really made of both the shirt itself and extra material. 
the shirt is part of the pocket. Pants pockets, or coat pockets, very often the way they're designed is that you have some extra material that's sewed into the coat itself. It's kind of suspended from the coat or from the pants. So in the first case, since the shirt and the pocket are really one, the shirt itself would become a busis as well. But in the case of a coat and most pants, when you have the pocket is kind of suspended from the material of the pants, so now the pocket may be a busis, but that won't infect the entire garment itself. So that's it for today's shear. That is this week's class in Hochas Muxa. We cover the concept of a busis, a base for a uh, uh, for muxa. Uh, we talked about the fact that that only happens with intentional placement, or if that's the places, if that's the muxa's normal uh, uh, storage spot. Uh, we talked about what's called intentional and not intentional. We talked about if a person is able to make somebody else's item muxa, um, and we also discussed the details of cases in which. There are multiple items resting on something else. And then we finished off with our a quick mention of the halachas of pockets in this regard. Thank you all for listening, and may our investment in understanding the uh, infectious nature of muksa help protect us from any type of physical contagion and uh, keep us safe and sound to learn more Torah together. Have a wonderful Shabbos.